My name is Colin Williams. And I'm Ian Rowlands. And welcome to Beneath the Stream, a podcast about the human experience in the non-human world. Now, Ian, to introduce today's topic, um, on November 27th in 1936, in San Antonio, Texas, the blues singer Robert Johnson was in one of five recording sessions that he um, did at that time and place. And he recorded what um, the blues aficionados know as Take Two of Crossroads Blues. Um, Take One is the Crossroads Blues that we're familiar with now. Um, But Take Two had a different verse in it than the other versions. And um, that verse begins... Um, with the words, the sun is going down and the dark is going to catch you here. And that is just meant as a short introduction to the topic of this episode, which is night. And for sure, yeah, I mean, night is a is a powerful time. As you were talking, I was thinking how, from an early age, I felt comfortable with the night. Uh, and And probably on a simplistic level, in that we live in a land with very... A little likelihood of encountering a predator that's going to do you any harm at night, whereas many cultures that's that's not true. But there is a you know that intrinsic fear of night and the uh, supernatural mm. that goes with it. Perhaps in Western culture, we have imbued night with this heavy sense of fear um, and the unknown. And I was reading um, just recently about how some of that, in literature at least, might be associated with um, medieval European thought and especially medieval Christianity um, because there were, in the canonical hours, and so where, you know, the the hours where um, those devoted to Christianity would give prayers at, at set times during the day, um, night is very much marked as a time where there is no prayer going on. So between Compline and Matins the next yeah, morning, there's yeah. this big gap where where we as human beings weren't doing anything to drive away evil. Um, whereas through through the daylight hours and into the early evening and, and in early morning, we were we were engaged in these ritual prayers which helped to drive away um, evil. Whereas there was a period where we weren't doing that. And so, therefore, that allowed all of the bad things of the world um, to have dominion. I think it's really fascinating. And I think if you, uh, as we talked about already, there are predators for Mm. for many cultures which are a real danger at night. Our senses are dimmed. Their senses are not. You know, most animals, even if they're actually um, active in the daytime, have better eyesight than we do at night. So, you know, cats see so well, even though a lot of their hunting is actually done in the daytime. Lions, for example. But they can hunt at night with better visual acuity than we have. So there must be an intrinsic fear of being eaten, of of predators out there. That's kept people huddled around the campfire and safe at at night. And then by extension, I presume that that also would lead to the sort of mythological creatures and the fear of um, the ungodly, I suppose, that you're referring to with, with... with the lack of prayer at night time. In my imagination, it's less a fear of being eaten, but the fear of being watched. 
So being watched by something that can that can see you acutely, but which you can't detect. So what's what's your eyesight like at night? Is it good? Is it um, poor? What, how do you feel at night when you're out there looking? I don't know. I've I've never really thought that hard about it, and maybe that's a, a little cultural gap exposed right there, um, because you know I don't because I surround myself with you know electricity and gadgets and all these tools and technologies. I don't have to give thought about how good my eyesight is at night. I think as I've got older, I'm definitely more comfortable with the night than I have been previously because when you're a kid you you, you conjure all sorts of things out of the night time don't you and uh, things that are half seen and half um, understood are always going to carry fear and I could certainly remember as a kid you know standing in front of my closed bedroom door not remembering that the shape that was in front of me was a dressing gown hanging on the door and being utterly terrified that I'd turned that shape into a being, a thing, a visitor. Well, I think it's a great way to go back to childhood, isn't it? When all the all the rational things that we're going to talk about, I guess, in this podcast, uh, it's less easy to hang on to the rationality when you have a child because the imagination is a much freer reign to visualise what's there in the dark mm. from sounds and uh, from the little senses that we get and and... And night changes the way we perceive sound, it seems to me, in a profound way. Do you agree with that? So, for me, it's not only that sounds at night are different, a whole different set of animals, um, um, but also that those, even if you have familiar sounds from the daytime, they sound different at night. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, t- it's a totally different experience for me at night because of those things. Yeah, and, and I, I, I mean, I love the sounds that you hear at night that we don't, here at all in the daytime those creatures and um it's interesting in that some of the even the fearsome creatures that if you saw them like i'm let's think of uh, say mountain lion i've seen mountain lion in the daytime and they're 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 a very real and present danger you know they Mm. would they would view you as a potential food um and at night they have the weirdest strangulated howling cry that you can picture it it, it it sounds like a woman being murdered so it actually transports the experience of the animal beyond um knowing it's a predator which is fearsome enough anyway to it being almost a demonic supernatural yeah. presence and that's where i think it's really fascinating to get at yeah. Um, the relationship with indigenous people and with our ancestors. I was also reading that the Saxons sometimes called the nighttime death mist. <laughs> yeah, and so it wasn't just, you know, nighttime where, you know, which was a bit inconvenient and, you know, they couldn't, you know, do the normal things uh, at night that they could during the day. The whole period of darkness was death mist. And when you. Um, think about something in Islamic belief systems like Ramadan um, where night signals the time for feasting um, and for food um, and I've been in um, the Islamic world during Ramadan 
Um, and it's uh, suddenly night time then is this huge social family time. Uh, and I've been on city streets when whole families were out, including very young children. Suddenly it's a big time. Night time's a time for celebration hmm. um, and not a time for locking yourself away. That's interesting. Um, and, in, and in a way, that's um, something I was going to ask you. It, it touches back upon what we said earlier, but you, it, it's an obvious link there. I was asking about what your sight is like and then how much you need you know, to take an electric light with you out into the darkness. And then the fact that we as humans in Islamic countries, you, you describe come out at night and band together and are busy doing things at night and it's sort of um it's what part that plays reaching for light taking light with us into the darkness is a you know for me i can't talk about night without thinking about light what it what is it that is special about night that that makes it not just the darkness in between periods of light mm-hmm. um is there uh, and I think we've we. You got thoughts on that? Well, I think we, I think we've already touched on some of it. It'd be nice to explore a little bit more about some of these folklores and mythologies we've uh, attached tonight. You know, we as I say we had the Saxons calling it the Death Mist. That's wonderful. Um, and I, I think we mentioned in the Light podcast how some Scandinavian people refer to dusk as the Velvet Hour, and so as a very as this very soft entry into the night time, um, and. And we've now attached a lot of things to the night time which make it a bad thing in our imaginations. Ghosts come out at night. And there's some really interesting psychological research and literature um, that suggests that the that there is a peak time for people reporting presences or... Um, some sort of supernatural right. danger or, or or imagined danger and that's between the hours of 2 a.m and 4 a.m right. which um is uh, some people have linked to um a peak in our bodies of the sort of hormone melatonin which is the hormone that regulates sleep and wakefulness and so as that peaks it creates this slight imbalance where our seemingly our imaginations run wild it's really fascinating, isn't it? And all the kind of ghost hunting programs on TV, they they have to wait till it gets dark to mm. carry out their investigation. And oh, the, to turn all the lights you know, off. And, you know, the, 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 the kind of, um, the inclination to me to be fascinated by that sort of suggests, well, there, there might be something in it. My my own ghostly experiences have happened, you know, after yeah. the sun's gone down. Yeah. Um, but it's also interesting to look at the psychology and the chemicals running through the body that might... Yeah. Um, enhance and, and tweak whatever natural things occur and, and you lead to superimpose something on top of them. So, yeah. um, so you, you talked about um, that association with fear. Any of your own experiences that, 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 that kind of... Um, do you have a fear of the darkness yourself now or is it kind of left behind from... I'm probably much more willing now to be out in the dark alone. Um but again, I would always, I feel I would limit that to safe places, places I was familiar with, not necessarily places that uh, I was unfamiliar with or where I knew there was a chance that the landscape held some danger, either from 
injury, you know, falling down a mine shaft, falling off a cliff, or something worse <laughs> of a, a creature um, coming to get me um, out of the darkness and, and out there no one can hear me scream, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. And I... I, I um... I've uh, I remember being up in in Queensland, northern Queensland, in the Daintree rainforest, and decided, for goodness knows what reasons, because uh, I was camping in the forest on a remote beach, and somebody arranged to pick me up in a few days' time, and I actually just it was so fascinating all the sounds at night that I couldn't really sleep. I ended up sort of dozing away in the daytime and going out a lot. Well, I get up very early as well, but I'd be out most nights walking in the rainforest. Now, theoretically, there's no large predators that might eat. There's plenty of snakes and spiders there. Um, and it was a really petrifying thing to do uh, because of the, the, the unknown in the forest there. And it just took on a whole different quality. Now, so I'm tempted to say that was really me leading into saying the fear for me would be in places where there's a predator that could eat you and you're much more vulnerable. But I, the truth is I recognise that... that northern queensland had some fear for me and actually it's very hard to predict what places even in the uk might hold some fear in the dark and and might not because like you could, for me i could walk through one piece of woodland and be completely i'm very comfortable in the dark i know what creatures are out there i know broadly speaking how to navigate mm. but another piece of woodland entirely different which i had do not expect it to produce a fear in me can do so there's something else there's something at work that wouldn't be at work in the daytime let's put it that way yeah yeah and i wonder i I can't decide how much of that is a balance between an innate human fear of being out and exposed at night and how much is of how much of it is cultural baggage some of which we've we Mm -hmm. we touched on Mm -hmm. The name for the Latin name for the tawny owl, if my if memory serves, is Strix aluco. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, that's a scientific name. Yeah. Now I think that means brown witch, mm-hmm. and so even now we called it the tawny owl because of its coloration. We chose not in our common tongue to call it the witch bird or the brown witch owl or something like that. But we chose to bury um, our f- some of our fears of nighttime in its scientific name. So, and, and I remember learning that when I was a teenager, that that's what it was called and that was what it meant. And it doesn't matter now, whenever I hear a tawny owl at night, all I can think of is the brown witch and there is this brown witch somewhere in a tree <laughs> looking at me. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be over the top about it. It doesn't scare me, but it has created an association um, which clearly was felt by our ancestors, else they wouldn't have named it that. Um, and so even the creatures of the night. And so um, in another podcast, whether it's out there or not yet, I don't know. We talked about the nightjar, which is also sometimes called the nighthawk. Um, and even that name in itself, and you think about its other names, goat sucker, 
you're already venturing into you're going from Nightjar, which is a kind of friendly sounding name, through to Nighthawk, which is slightly more yeah. spiky. And they're heading off to sort of vampiric territory. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And and you know, vampires is a um, but I've been to Transylvania. I spent a lot of time in the Transylvanian mountains of Romania and the whole place reeks of a fear of darkness that's very interesting tell me more about that then so what did you were you out at night at all in transylvania yeah i have been out at night in transylvania in in some pretty um i mean close to human habitation but nonetheless small clusters of habitation you know so villages of just a couple of hundred people um certainly no street lighting no metropolis um and also in that part of Romania, you have these unique um, fortified churches that were built, or certainly their fortifications were built um, to repel Ottoman invaders way back when. And they ostensibly look like churches with very high walls around them. Mm. So it, it doesn't. if you didn't know the history of why those walls were built, you would... You know, for all the world, swear that you know people of Transylvania gathered in churches at night with high walls around them to avoid <laughs> attacks of vampires, and and you you can't help it. My cultural upbringing just makes all those associations, and I don't even have to try. I I will say, in defence of Transylvania, Romania, it's a beautiful place with beautiful people, and you should go there because it's a fantastic wilderness, and there's wonderful things. Um, there, wildflower meadows, the lot. It, it's beautiful. Uh, huge oak forests, some of it really unspoiled. Um, You're spoiling it now, Colin. I, I, yeah, I, I, I I'll be back in the dark. Sorry, yes. But there's also <laughs> vampires there. Um, so, uh, yeah, fa- fascinating place and fascinating place where all that culture of fear sort of comes together in the architecture and in the landscape. Nice. I wanted to lead you actually to, to focus on the mythological. Now, so I'll go off at a slight tangent, but you'll see where I'm going in that. When you mentioned Transylvania, I was thinking, I remember being in uh, in northern uh, Svalbard, Spitsbergen, which mm. is uh, about as close, reasonably speaking, to the North Pole as you can get in Europe. And, and then there's ice and beyond. And we were, we were out positioning the boat in the path of a total solar eclipse. So we'd gone to this remote area of the high Arctic between the very northern islands of Svalbard in, in, into Russian waters locked in the ice but perpetual daylight it was like alive with polar bears and fascinating place to be um but i digress but at the appointed hour as we waited for the the path of the eclipse to come suddenly rushing towards us at a speed none of us anticipated was darkness like a great wave rushing across the curve of the earth and we went from so visualize yourself in broad bright sunlit daylight in an instant to total darkness and uh, everybody got their cameras ready it almost caught everybody unawares and the, the man stood next to me his first comment was release the bats <laughs> fantastic <laughs> so it made me think of it when you talk about transylvania and darkness and uh, um so so mythological creatures of the dark then that's that's a fascinating subject yeah. so we have them in britain we have them abroad and yeah you you, you know much about these <laughs> No, not not a topic I've spent a lot of time on, um, but it is. Um, if I think the Victorians were great at this, the Victorians are always creating 
bogeymen, mm-hmm. uh, for for want of a better word. Uh, and you think of uh, Springheeled Jack mm-hmm. um, in London, uh, even Jack the Ripper, uh, not a myth, um, but uh, all of those things go to add in the ingredients which have stayed with us through literature and through storytelling and through the oral tradition such such as we it, it, it exists in in our culture the oral tradition to um make us afraid of the dark yeah uh, i mean i spring hill jack's fast that's, that's worth a podcast on its own right because, because yeah. a, a more bizarre character and documented by people this this sort of a, had an ability to leap high, appear on people's doorsteps, breathed fire. Mm. Lots of people described it, but but you know, and in a way, that's what I'm interested in. That a lot of those creatures, the mythological creatures of the night, uh, we often associate with sort of shape shifting. Mm. So you know, a vampire can become a bat and can come in through your window. In folk song, um, there is the story of Rainadine. Um, the sort of fox-like human that tempts, you know, fair maidens um, into, in, in some of the lyrics describe a green castle. And so, yeah, it, it, it exists. Um, and I think a lot of that is to do with one of the other things I wanted to cover, was the very obvious um, thing that night robs you of a major sense and that is your sight Mm -hmm. Um, and so even if your nighttime vision is reasonable the majority of that sense is still taken away and so immediately your other senses um, I assume try to make up for that which is why we've, we've already touched on sound but it's why sound becomes so important but um, uh, uh, a neurologist that I was recently um, speaking to, um, he also reminded me of all of the other senses that we have that we don't necessarily um, think about when we list senses. Um, and one of the senses that he pointed out to me was the sense where we know someone is close or something is close. Mm-hmm. So. I, I gave that a little bit of thought, and he's absolutely right. I, I know when, even if it's silent, I know when something is in proximity to me. And I don't know, there's probably some science behind that. There's, we probably have a small magnetic field. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, think I, I think there's some very interesting science uh, around that. But we know, when, we know when someone is close. And at night, it feels as if the expectation that that might happen is heightened. So we're all more often we're looking to our right and left or slightly behind us at night time um, because these other senses that we don't think about consciously or aren't in use during daytime suddenly come to the fore. And I, and I think, you know, don't want to go off topic once we deprive ourselves of sight. And, and I can't speak from the perspective of a blind person, but let's talk about me putting a scarf over my eyes. Yeah. I know that my other senses are heightened. And I think there is a lot of science, proper science, around the um, close proximity of another being and the, the very strong electromagnetic fields the heart give out and our ability to detect that, which would be stronger, you would think, if you take away our other senses. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure there's some 
some good science around that and it is mm. it is interesting i like the also that when we're uh we talk about the mythological creatures and being out at night our senses deprived of other things that light at night could be significant too and that can be natural like um bioluminescence at night is a really spectacular thing you know it's kind of with to illuminate the darkness in some way with a natural creature you know i've seen um uh, dolphins in baja california bow riding the boat as we journeyed at night and it was like somebody had lit a firework underwater you know this thing comes shooting in and then dive away again and a sort of spooky experience i once had in the woods in east anglia i was young easily impressionable walking to the nearest pub through hangman's wood so i'm primed and ready but some luminous gas came up out of the marsh no really yeah yeah yeah. a will o the wisp yeah yeah will o the wisp swamp gas and uh I have never run so fast in my life, walking on my own through Hangman's Wood with, yeah. with a will-o'-the-wisp. That's so, amazing. So, you know, light at night and then the way that we'll implant some mythology on top of that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's a human nature thing to do. So um, for you as a, as a writer or as an artist, you, you find um, nighttime inspirational? Is it a place that you would, a time you would seek out? I, I do, and for every story that, and personal memory I have of feeling uncomfortable at night, I could probably also think of, um, you know, incredible kind of defining moments um, in my memory that could have only happened at night. You know, I've been in the Sahara Desert where you almost can't see your hand in front of your face at night, but the sky... And the stars suddenly become uh, this incredible canopy that we, that where we live here in the UK, we can really only mm-hmm. guess at. Um, we we have, you know, you look up and you think, oh, it's a really starry night. That's nothing compared to a place where there is no light pollution, yeah. and you can look up and see these things. Um, it, in remember being, you know, on the edge of the Arctic Circle at. Um, it's an 11 o'clock at night in, in high summer and really only just starting to get dark. But even once it does get dark, the kind of soft darkness that descends in an Arctic summer is nothing like the, the darkness that we have in other places and, and gives you a whole new... You want to spend more time out at night um, because of the way it makes you feel. Um and so for all the bad things, I can also think of um, good things and good associations with night time. I also think that where we do, where we tend to celebrate night, we tend to fill it with other things, don't we? So, you know, there's not many, you know, music shows gigs concerts that i've been to that happened in the daytime that's a kind of nighttime thing it's a kind of after work thing it's a sort of you know social evening thing to get together and have that but of course you go there and on a lot of occasions it's light and noise so you're yeah. just filling the nighttime yeah. with light and noise and as euphoric as it is it's uh it's kind of not really what nighttime is supposed to be like but it's, it's, it's a valid experience, though, mm. isn't it? It's, that it's, only, it's like us filling the, 
you know, we, we're coming up on Halloween, you know, yeah. so we're, we're going to fill the evening with being out and about and bustling and busy and trick-or-treating, whatever people do, you know, so to bring the life into the darkness, as you described, really, during Ramadan. I think that's, uh, it's a human instinct. The fascinating time for me is, is when we don't do that, is when we quieten our minds and the darkness envelops us and, and we, we can have a variety of experiences. I mean, it's the classic, you know, long dark night of the soul when, when time is distorted by mm. darkness. So you talk about senses changing, you know, it, the, the night can seem to last forever mm. in a way that the daytime doesn't. Our senses are distorted in that way. And, uh, and I think nighttime has, um, has an ability for us to sort of open up to other things whatever that can be it can be some people are very creative at night that's the time when the brain is is freewheeling you know and processing things or it manifests in dreams or you wake up in the morning and scribble furiously or i do yeah. ideas that i've had at night yeah. when, the, when the brain has gone into a an idling state i suppose oh, well yeah and no, i've had experiences of um whole chapters of books <laughs> coming out of me at night and or it all stems from not being able to sleep because my mind is racing with words or phrases um, that that I didn't that weren't occurring to me during daytime. But once I was in a resting state, um, suddenly those things flood in, and the only cure is to sort of exercise those things, um, for want of a better word. I think that's really interesting, and recent research has shown that actually uh, modern humans gathered around you know tv or, or or electric lights and then we turn them off and go to bed we still have roughly the same duration of sleep at night time as indigenous peoples did who don't have wow. all those modern amenities mm. and and it's it's almost like a time a, a a section of the day when the darkness comes which um we only need so much sleep but there's quite a lot of processing goes on or something else is happening to us at that at that time provided we're not being stalked around the fire by a tiger or a wolf or something like that and i, I suppose i was i was also going to touch upon that in that um probably the most terrifying experience i've had of the darkness um was at night in botswana in a, an open camp where predators would i mean you just had canvas separating you from a lion walking through the camp or elephants or whatever and if you needed to get up at night to go to the bathroom you know it was you you, you took a flashlight you took a torch and uh, there might be a camp guard somewhere watching but you had to look out to see that there wasn't you know eye shine of a predator that might eat you and the sound of those predators particularly big cats or or noises that you didn't even recognize there's a a sort of jungle owl there that makes a shrieking sort of mm. demonic sound. So that whole sense of being up at night where it's beyond the supernatural, it's actually immersed once more in what we as tribal societies had to live with, is is probably the most terrifying thing I can I can think of.
Can you think of any um, books, writers, chapters of books that um, have written about um, nighttime and their, perhaps their experience of the non-human world in nighttime who that have really stayed with you or, or that, that, that stick in your mind? I can, and I, I'm not going to name the book because actually I was going to be very quite derogatory about it and I kind of feel like it's a little bit rude. But uh, it was about... Uh, I was nearly mentioned it then. The Darkness is Light Enough is the book. but um, And this was a lady who went out um, to commune with the badgers every night. Right. Uh, so I apologise for being rude about it, but, but the book wasn't one of my favourites. And, and it really, it was her life which was more nocturnal than diurnal. You know, it was actually, she wasn't really active in the daytime and she wrote about badgers and wanted to be immersed in their world. Uh, not one of my favourite books, but it stuck with me, I suppose, because of the the reverse of the way that you would live your life. You know, so it felt um, out of kilter and it sort of separated, maybe in a, if I'm really honest here, what it was doing for me was I saw the example she was setting of setting herself outside of the norms of society. And for me at the time reading that book, it felt too out there. I didn't want right. to, but, but what she described, which was that, that world, that universe of darkness was alien you know and she immersed herself in it so i recall working um here in this study one evening writing late into the night um and looking just having a desk lamp on so not 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 a bright light but it still made the window in front of me a reflective surface rather than me being able to see out into the darkness and um I remember having a having a great sense that now that all my you know that the daylight had been taken away by night time um and how night time takes away so many of our senses um and takes away so many of the things we feel comfortable um expressing and thinking about in in the natural world. Um, I remember looking up through the window, trying to see past my reflection out into the night time and, and failing because all I could see was myself staring back at me from, from the window. Um, but I remember thinking that was a, that was a great metaphor. And um, in the very first words of Bob Dylan's Visions of Johanna from his Blonde on Blonde record was, uh, it is... Ain't it just like the night to play tricks when you're trying to be so quiet? And I, I remember looking back at my reflection and and thinking, maybe night is the, is when we see ourselves most clearly. <laughs> <laughs>